This is your Professor Debbie. Welcome to True Crime University, where we have intellectual discussions about crime. This is a class for mature audiences with mature language and subject matter. Our purpose is to learn about criminals, not glorify them. And my aim, as always, is education. Hello, class. How's everybody tonight? Is everybody ready for, for me, the dreaded case of the Watts family murder, or murders, I guess I should say. As I mentioned before, this is for my wonderful niece, Delaney. Delaney, this is your birthday present. And before I get into it, I'm going to give kind of a game plan and some disclaimers. The biggest disclaimer I guess I have is I'm sure that everybody knows that I'm just a podcast host whenever I talk about cases, uh, criminals, why they may have done this or that. I'm sure everybody knows I'm just speculating, and I don't actually know, of course, why people do things that they do. So I will be making some, I don't even know if I can use the word guesses. I have some thoughts and opinions. And it seems like everybody in the world has opinions on this case, strong opinions. I will admit I'm one of those people who is fascinated by this case. I'll tell you why in a minute. There are numerous podcasts, documentaries, YouTube videos, books. I don't know if I can think of a crime in recent years where there's been so much attention paid to the family the murderers, the wise, trying to figure this out. And the reasons for that, I think, are pretty obvious. We have a picture-perfect family, an attractive, I would call them rich. I mean, in my standards, to me, they were rich. At the very least, upper middle class. Attractive husband and wife with two adorable little girls living what's supposedly a picture-perfect life. And as you probably know, and we will discuss this later, Shanann lived a great deal of her life on social media. She daily had videos of what they were doing, pictures, and this would be part of her, something that she did for work, but I'll get into that later. But suffice it to say, everybody knew their business. And I do think that this was a factor in what happened. I have listened to many podcasts, and a lot of them want to critique people that I definitely am not going to hear. It is not my place. There's a girlfriend involved. I've heard her called just about every name in the book. I'm not going to do that. That That's not my place. I've heard people critique Shanann's parenting and her personality, which is such a shitty thing to do. She was a victim. She was killed. I like to think that we're better than that. So for our purposes, and as far as I'm concerned, there were only three victims. That's Shanann and her two kids, four if you want to count the unborn kid, and one perpetrator, and that, of course, was Chris. And anybody else, girlfriends or family members, friends, whatever have you, everybody else is peripheral. The reason this case fascinates me and... I'm kind of guessing that the same reason that it fascinates other people, mainly women, and 
I will tell you that being a female is uh, probably the main, I guess my main source of fascination. What we have here is, from the viewpoint of Shanann, a woman who thought she'd found, like many of us do, the perfect dude, perfect husband. They get married, they have kids, everything seems wonderful. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of absolutely nowhere, with no signs, no red flags, he just ups and kills her, just like that, and then kills the two kids with no apparent reason. That is why it's so scary and frightening and shocking because there were no signs. There were no red flags. And I think just about every case that we've ever talked about here, or at least that I've heard about or read about, you can see signs, sometimes from very early on in somebody's life. Oh, well, they tortured animals as a kid. They had a head injury. They were setting things on fire at, at, at age five. They were snorting cocaine at age eight. You can see these things, these problems, either behavior problems or getting involved with crime, psychological problems, they come up somewhere in a person's life. With Chris Watts, there are absolutely zero. And that's what scares me is to think that I could marry somebody who, as far as I know, has shown none of these behaviors, none of these telltale dangerous signs never acted abusive or unbalanced or anything. And then one day, out of the blue, before it's too late for me to know what's going on, he kills me. It's something that, well, I mean, I don't like sit and worry about it all the time, but it's on my mind. What if I meet a Chris Watts? I, mean, I like to think that I have enough sense to know if I meet somebody and they do things that warn me that this may be a dangerous person to get involved with. They're abusive or they hit me. Well, I would never, if somebody hit me, I would be gone. I mean, it's, it's that simple. Or they do this and that or, or whatever. I like to think that I have the sense to see those things and to realize, you know, my self-preservation instinct would kick in and say, oh, this looks like a dangerous person. You better stay away from them. And I think we all do, men included. I think we all like to think that we would know better if we were ever encountered with danger like this and that we would know not to get involved. And I bet that Shanann thought the same thing. And I'm sure she did. I have a feeling I didn't know her, unfortunately, but I have a feeling that if she would have seen any danger signs or any red flags or any behavior in her husband that suggested that he was capable of what he did, that she would have hightailed it the hell out of that marriage because she was obviously intelligent, a good mother. The main source I'm using is one of the books I mentioned last week. It's the one by John Glatt, and it's it's in the show notes. I'm doing kind of a quick overview of their lives before we get to, I guess, their marriage. I want to spend some time on their marriage because it's obviously going to be important. And I had originally planned to do this all in one episode, but if you know me, you know that I'm just not capable of narrowing something down to one episode. And then, 
of course, we'll discuss the crime. And there's a lot to talk about in the aftermath. After Chris was arrested and what happens later. And of course, psychology. So this is going to be in two parts. And I'm going to do something kind of rotten and do a cliffhanger at the end of this episode. And I'm picking certain spots to focus on. These are things that I think are important, either in their personality or things that might be important in the future and in what happens. So if I say, take note of this, this is important. Obviously, I think it's something that contributed in some way, in my opinion, to how this all ended. I do have some theories, and I'll get into those, but I want to warn everybody, especially on this case, because so many people have thoughts, and they seem to be very, uh, what's the word, opinionated or strong in their thoughts and beliefs on this case. You might not like the ideas that I have or the thoughts or opinions I have, and well, I mean, if, if you don't, you don't. That's That's all I can say. But my own personal thoughts or guesses about why this happened. And that's all they are is guesses. They're based on the research that I've done, which is not just skimming over a book in the past week. Like I said, I've been interested in this case. I've read every book, seen just about every documentary, podcast, etc. So based on years of doing that, and of course, years of mulling over in my head, what could have caused this? And no matter what I say as to what I think may have contributed to this or, or things that I think may have been going on, please, I'm begging you, do, do not, no matter what, don't ever think that I am excusing what happened or Chris's behavior or apologizing for him or that I feel sorry for him. Absolutely none of those things. I feel the need to say this because... I really don't know why. It just may be a feeling that some people may think, oh, she feels sorry for him or she's excusing him or she's going to use that. No, 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 no. I only try to explain. So we're going to start with Shanann, who, of course, is the victim. Shanann Catherine Ruzik was born on January 10th, 1984, in Passaic, New Jersey. Her parents were Frank and Sandy. And she had a little brother, Frankie, who was two years younger. As a kid, she was said to be outgoing, smart, but also very sickly and needed medical attention a lot. She suffered from migraines as a kid, which is pretty unusual for a kid. And we're going to see that all these health problems follow Shanann throughout her life. Strangely enough, in her younger years... She was insecure and bullied at school, and her little brother protected her from bullies. In 1999, the family moved to Aberdeen, North Carolina, because her dad had a better job opportunity there. She went to Pinecrest High School, which was one of those schools that specializes in arts and theater, and she became involved with theater. This actually would have a very positive effect on her. Her drama teacher was named Matt Francis, and she saw him as kind of like a second dad. She confided in him a lot, and she spent a lot of time in his office talking about her problems at home. 
And she said that her parents didn't get along and that her dad didn't give her attention, which is very sad. And this dude, Matt, said later, quote, she was one of the sweetest girls you could ever encounter, end quote. She threw herself into theater. She was a stage manager. She did like production stuff. She got a different group of friends of whom she was supposedly the mother hen. So you're going to you're going to see that she's one of these types of people who likes to take care of people is like a a caring, giving sort of motherly and I'm sure you can think of somebody like that. But again, she was often absent from school with medical problems. When this Matt, the teacher, left the area to get married, Shanann was pretty upset. She was 18. She wrote him a letter and it said, quote, you have been like a father figure to me, even more than, than my own father, end quote. When she was in 12th grade, she dated a dude named Leonard King. And by the time they graduated, they were engaged, which is extremely young. And soon after high school, they got married. All of her friends thought that this was way too young to be married. So she started college, and Leonard was in the Army. But she soon dropped out of college and started selling pagers and cell phones. And this would be one of many selling jobs that she would have in her life. And with her vivacious personality, she was like a natural salesperson. Not surprisingly... They got divorced in a couple of years, and Shanann later said that she quit college to support Leonard so that he could go to law school. In 2006, she became the manager of a cell phone store in Fayetteville, North Carolina, and the bookkeeper for the, the guy who owned this store, his other company, which was called Dirty South. And this store had custom car fittings and wheels, and they catered to rich people, like rappers, athletes, people who can afford that type of shit, like fancy, um, I don't know what you call them, things for your tires. She worked long hours at both of these stores, and after divorcing Leonard, she moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, where she took a psychology class at Queen's University. And she later said, quote, I went through a real awful divorce, and that really took a lot for me. It literally took everything. I had to start financially all over, end quote. She was 23 at this time. So she had a big ambition. She wanted to build a house and then resell it and make money doing this. In 2009, she signed a $309,000 mortgage to build a luxury brick mansion on something called Lake Wiley in Belmont, which is an upscale suburb of Charlotte. I saw a picture of this house in this neighborhood, and damn, I mean, this is like high living, I would say. She later said that this was her biggest accomplishment. This house had 12 rooms, four bedrooms, four bathrooms, and a balcony over the lake. And it was actually sold to somebody in 2012. Her brother estimated that she was earning half a million dollars a year. Soon after she moved into this house, she started to get sick, like a different kind of sick. Her hair fell out. She lost a lot of weight. She would stay in bed for days. And she figured something serious must be going on. 
So she went to the doctor and she was diagnosed with lupus and fibromyalgia. And I do want to describe these diseases in a little bit of detail because they're going to become pretty important in Shanann's life and thus in the story. Lupus is a chronic inflammatory disease or autoimmune disease in which the immune system attacks itself or attacks the body, tissues, and organs. It can affect joints, skin, kidneys, blood, brain, heart, and lungs, so like pretty much everything. It mostly affects women between 15 and 44, and it can cause muscle pain, fever, rash, hair loss, which is what Shanann had, swelling, and fatigue. Fibromyalgia is kind of similar. That's what I have. They call it a disease of the connective tissue, and mainly you're in pain all the time, like muscular, skeletal pain. You have a lot of fatigue, you sleep a lot, and you may have memory or mood issues. They call it fibro fog. 25% of people with lupus also have fibro, but lupus is the rarer of the two, and it can be life-threatening. Shanann was prescribed heavy medication, which gave her flu-like symptoms from the side effects. And she said, quote, I completely lost it. I wasn't feeling good. I was in a dark place. I was really sad, emotional. I didn't know where to turn, end quote. She quit working at the Dirty South. And in July of 2010, when she was supposedly at her lowest point, she got a Facebook friend request from a dude whose cousin worked with her mother, Sandy, and his name was Chris Watts. This was actually a second Facebook request she got from Chris. The first one, she just blew off. She's like, eh, you know, screw him, whatever. But fatefully, she accepted the second one. So Christopher Lee Watts was born in Fayetteville, North Carolina, on May 16th, 1985. His parents are Ronnie and Cindy. And because Cindy and Sandy sound so much alike, I'm just going to say Chris's dad, Chris's mom, Shanann's dad, Shanann's mom. He had a sister, Jamie, who was six and a half years older, and she supposedly helped raise him. Ronnie worked at Ford, and Cindy was a secretary. Chris idolized his dad. They did everything together. He loved sports, basketball, baseball, especially NASCAR, and he estimated he'd been to over 200 races in his life. He learned mechanics, car mechanics, from a young age and had a natural talent for this. Kind of like Shanann had a talent for selling things. Jamie was gregarious, but Chris was very shy and withdrawn. When he was a kid, he memorized all of the U.S. and European capitals. I'm going to uh, start making a case. I'm not going to wait for psychology because I, I want to, while I'm going through this presentation of his life, make these points as I go so you can notice them when I say them. And it's just simply my own opinion, and I don't know. As far as I know, Chris has never had a any kind of psychiatric or psychological evaluation, which kind of sucks for us because I think the whole world wants to know what's wrong with him. But I personally think that he's autistic because I am, as I'm sure you know, I've said many times, I can see the signs in other people. And there's a lot of things reading about him throughout his life that sent up uh, red flags to me. I'm like, oh, that is a really autistic thing right there. 
and I made notes of them. So when I come across one, I'll call your attention to it. He was always very shy and withdrawn. Even in high school, he was uncomfortable around other people. He kind of was like, uh, I guess, mostly ignored. His sister Jamie said, quote, He was quiet and interested in mechanics and cars. He was just a focused person, end quote. He enrolled in automotive technology class where he was the star pupil. His teacher, named Joe Duty, said that Chris was probably in the top 10% of all the kids he'd ever had. He said, quote, He was very quiet and introverted, but he was always completely polite and courteous, end quote. He demonstrated an encyclopedic knowledge of NASCAR stats and trivia, which he would spend hours reading about. That's a big thing for people who are autistic. We tend to develop a special interest, like in Chris's case's case, it looked like it was NASCAR and mechanics, and we love to absorb knowledge on it. And then once you have this encyclopedic knowledge, we like to spout out facts about this stuff. He also had a photographic memory, which is another thing. Joe Duty said, quote, he could recite anything you wanted to know about NASCAR from memory right off the top of his head, end quote. He noted how isolated Chris seemed to be and noticed that he never had a girlfriend. Girls liked him, but he was always very awkward, especially around the opposite sex. There was a kid who played football with him who said, quote, I've never seen him get angry at anybody. He wouldn't hurt a fly, end quote. And this is going to be a theme that appears in his life many times. He never got mad. I never saw him mad. I never saw him lose his temper. He kept everything bottled up. And that's not only with anger, but it seems like with all emotions. Like he was just a very unemotional person who kept his emotions to himself. He never rebelled as a teen, which is pretty unusual. So Jamie wondered if there's something wrong with him because he was so controlled and obsessive. And she said, quote, I really thought he was autistic, like he was on the spectrum. He had to get things in order from the way he would eat to the way he had to say his prayers at night. It was his mannerisms. It was hard to hold a conversation with him unless we were talking about cars, end quote. That's like right from a textbook on autism. There's no such thing as a typical autistic person, but it's very common. The obsessive thinking, the orderly, things have to be this way in this particular order, routines, sequences, you know, this first, this second, this third. And a lot of autistic people, if you do something that throws off their routine or their order of things, they get extremely upset. So he graduated from Pine Forest High School in 2003. When he was 18, he went to the NASCAR Technology Institute in the town of Mooresville, and then he worked part-time at a Ford dealership. He lived with another NASCAR student named Richard, and Richard said, quote, He was straight as an arrow. He was very dedicated to his work and wasn't the kind of guy that went out and partied, end quote. Apparently, other kids would go out and drink and have fun and, you know, as students do, and Chris would be at home studying. His dream was to be a NASCAR mechanic. And this is kind of strange. I told you he was real close to his dad. His dad was so upset when Chris left home to go to school that he developed a cocaine problem. In 2006, Chris graduated from the NASCAR School with Honors. He was still working at the Ford dealership as a service technician, but 
His dream job was still at NASCAR. He put in applications. He had an interview, but he never got any job with NASCAR, unfortunately. He was disappointed, but never complained. And this is another theme we're going to keep seeing. No matter what happens to him, he never complains. He never bitches or whines or moans or says, I don't like this or I don't like that. And I, in my own personal opinion, that's going to be a big factor in what he ends up doing. So around this time, he had his first girlfriend and it didn't end well. She apparently found another boyfriend. And that's the point at which his cousin said, hey, I heard about this chick named Shanann. Why don't you hit her up on Facebook? And the rest, as they say, is history. In July of 2010, Chris and Shanann had their first date. They went to a theater at something called the Epicenter in Charlotte, which is supposed to be like a, from what I could tell, like a spot where they have restaurants and theaters and just like stuff to do. But it's kind of like upscale, like someplace I wouldn't go because I couldn't afford it. So they go to this theater and it's it's like a fancy ass theater. They've got cocktails and gourmet food. And Chris is kind of like me. It sounds like he had on a, a t-shirt and shorts and he's kind of like, mm, you know, I don't like all this fancy shit and all this fancy food. And at first, Shanann was like, oh my God, look at the way he's dressed. They didn't have a whole lot of chemistry. A few days later, Chris invited her to a Kid Rock concert. She went and they supposedly had a good time. Chris would later say he was persistent in pursuing Shanann, which remember if if we're counting the girlfriend I just told you about, this would make her only the second girlfriend he's ever had. So the third time, as they say, is the charm. They went to Myrtle Beach in August. And after a day at the beach, exposure to sunlight is a big trigger to make lupus flare up. So Shanann had a lupus flare. On the drive back to Charlotte, she laid on his lap and slept for three and a half hours. And he supposedly had to pee the whole time but didn't even want to get up and pee because he didn't want to disturb her. Shanann said that at this point, she knew that he was her dream man. And this really resonates with me because when you have, obviously I know what it feels like to have chronic diseases like fibro and lupus. You're miserable. You're in pain. You, at least I do, I whine a lot. When you finally find a, a person who's accepting of that, who doesn't say stuff like, knock off your whining, or you're just lazy, or you sleep too much, and is very caring and accepting of your illnesses and like pampers you, which is what Chris does, then you hang on to that person like they're gold. So I can totally see why Shanann thought that he was just a shit. She was working part-time at Dirty South, and she started a, a um, side business of photography. She would photograph weddings and people's kids. She also worked as a nanny. She was becoming increasingly dependent on Chris. And supposedly he was like, I don't know where this phrase came from, who originally said these words, but the phrase, he was at her beck and call came up. Now remember, she took all these different pills for all her diseases. He enjoyed organizing them into the pill boxes. And again, common in autistic people. She took him along to a colonoscopy and a spinal tap, and he was very supportive. In the fall, so she met him, met him in July. In the fall, he moved in, into this big, fancy-ass house with her. All her friends liked him, and they said he was devoted to her. So there was an infamous cookout 
that they had in which their families met each other. Chris's sister, Jamie, Chris's parents, and Shanann's parents. I'm not going to get into this family member said this, and this one did that, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to suffice it to say that their families never got along with each other, period. And we're going to move on from that because it's just too complicated. And it, it in the end, it's not really important. So in February of 2011, Gina, I think that's how it's pronounced. And I'm real sorry if it's not. It's J-E-A-N-N-A. So I'm guessing that Gina and Charlie Dietz, who were friends of theirs, moved to Colorado. And Chris and Shanann said, oh, we'll come visit you in Colorado sometime. So then Gina told Shanann, you know, this fresh mountain air that we have in Colorado would probably be good for your lupus. Maybe you should think about living here. So that's kind of on the back of their minds. I looked into this just for fun, and I couldn't find any evidence that Colorado climate was good for either fiber or lupus. Maybe I missed something. I don't know. But from what I could find, and I've always known this, but I just saw it again when I was researching, warm, dry places like the U.S. Southwest seem to be the best for people like us with chronic pain, arthritis, fibromyalgia. I'm assuming lupus too. So people described Shanann, and I mean, this is probably no secret to anybody, as being the dominant person in the relationship. She was said to have a fiery temper, and Chris, again, never showed emotion. And I think I probably mentioned a number of times, all couples, there's a dominant and a submissive. It's just how people work. It's just how people operate. You'll most always find a dominant and a submissive. And the trouble starts when you have two dominants and they clash because they both want to be the boss. So it seemed like, at first anyway, or for a while, Chris and Shanann were perfectly happy with her being in a dominant role. So in August of 2011, he proposed to her on the beach in North Carolina. And of course, she said yes. So they visit the Dietzes in Colorado, and they obviously like Colorado enough to say, you know, we think we are going to pack up and move here. We like it here. The Dietzes thought that Chris, here comes that word again, was devoted to her. Gina described him as doting and also, quote, attentive, kind, but shy and introverted, end quote. So what they decide is Chris would move first to Colorado and stay with the Dietzes. While Shanann would wrap things up in North Carolina, she would sell her house. Cindy, Chris's mom, is upset because her little boy's leaving her, moving halfway across the country. So she blamed this all on Shanann. Damn that, Shanann. This is all her fault, taking my little boy away from me. They have an engagement party in North Carolina. Shanann and Chris's mom get in a big fight. Chris's mom accuses Shanann of turning Chris against his family, which is ridiculous. But just to give you an idea of the type of drama that this family got into, and also hold that Shanann has on Chris. After the party, supposedly at Shanann's suggestion, Chris then broke off ties with his family. And that is pretty extreme. Cindy said, quote, Shanann was very controlling, end quote. In April 2012, Chris moves to Colorado and he moves in with the Dietzes. He gets a job at Longmont Ford. Notice the Ford theme. 
and he would live there for about six months. He really got along with their baby, and they were impressed by this. They thought, wow, he is going to be a great dad someday. So this part is interesting. Shanann urged him, trying to pick a, a fitting word, to take an online community college class from Central Piedmont Community College in North Carolina. And Gina is quoted as saying, Shanann wanted him to work towards a degree. She had him doing these classes while he was here as a single guy, end quote. And I'm fascinated by the choice of words. She had him doing these classes. Not he wanted to take a class or he was interested in this class, but she had him doing. It's very telling. And I'm sure I don't have to go any more into that. I'm sure we can all see what's going on here. So I'm not sure if she picked out this class and said, I want you to take this class. Because when you hear what the class is about, you're going to be like, wow, I wonder whose idea that class was, as am I. But it was on relationships. Part of the class, what they had to do was a nine-minute talk on video. And Chris gave a talk on relationship deterioration and repair, which the irony is, I have no words. In this speech, which he gave online, he talked about how a relationship deteriorates. And I just, I have a few quotes from it because it was online at one point. Supposedly it was on YouTube. So we do have exactly what he said. And in this speech, he said, quote, the relationship begins to fall apart, crumble, or fail. You have weakening bonds. You get bored with an everyday routine. Even at the job, you might meet a new person and it could strengthen into something else and weaken the bond you have with your partner. You have more awkward silences at dinner. Sometimes when your relationship starts to deteriorate, a child could help repair it, end quote. And a couple things jump out at me. I don't mean to laugh because it's funny. It's just like, wow. And I'm kind of assuming you know how this ends. So you're probably going, uh... Wow. The last sentence, a child could help repair a relationship. Where did he get that from? I know it wasn't from any kind of book or relationship guide because that is probably the worst advice you can give somebody. Our marriage is falling apart. Have a kid. That'll save it. Worst idea ever. And the part where he says about an, a partner could meet somebody at work. I mean, it's just like, uh, I'm sure it was just a total coincidence that he wasn't foreseeing anything or planning anything, but it's just uh, very prescient is all. So in August, Shanann sold her big-ass house for $349,900, and then she moved in with the Dietzes while they looked for their own house. She got a sales job at Longmont Ford, which is the same place that Chris works. And she ended up being such a good salesperson, she actually sold the most cars out of any of the salespeople. The manager of this Ford place named Greg says, quote, He was very passive, and she was very aggressive with him. Bossy. Do this, do that. Telling him what to do. Dominating the relationship. End quote. He also said that Chris never complained and seemed very happy with this arrangement. So this is another thing that's like a huge autism thing. When the Dietzes would have friends over, Chris was very uncomfortable with all these people around. 
And Gina said, quote, you almost felt sorry for him in a public setting, just a total introvert, shy, almost awkward socially, but very kind and soft, end quote. This is another kind of running theme throughout their relationship. Shanann had countdown to their wedding on Instagram, and I'm not real sure what this would look like. Every day, she would have some kind of update. And I'm guessing it's like 50 days to the wedding or whatever. And these updates had pictures and I don't know, just um, use your imagination. If you know anything about weddings, maybe like, I don't know, I tried on my dress today or, or whatever you would have. And this was on Instagram for everybody to look at and I guess follow along or count down with them to their wedding. And at some point, this changed to an actual wedding website where you would, it wasn't Instagram, it, it was like an actual website where it was like, I don't know, Chris and Shanann's wedding and pictures and whatever else that you could, probably people could interact with it. She was, and I cannot stress this enough, picture me writing this on a blackboard and underlining it like 10 times. She was very active on social media. And I'm stressing this so much because it's going to play a big role in what happens. On October 17th, they signed a $392,000 mortgage on a new house on Saratoga Trail. This was actually still being built. It was part of a, a new like subdivision for, I would call them rich people. This place was going to have a pool and a playground, and I think maybe you, you could call them yuppies, build for like yuppie types of people, if you know what I mean. Now, the town they settled in was Frederick, Colorado, which is in the northern part of Colorado, kind of near Wyoming. And this town was incorporated in 1907 as a coal mining town. So they got married on November 3rd of 2012, back in Charlotte, and supposedly Shanann made it clear that there were no Watts family members permitted, except, of course, for Chris, and his grandmother was allowed there. She had a $10,000 wedding ring, which I just can't even imagine. They went for a short honeymoon in Myrtle Beach, and they were still living with the Dietzes until their own house was built. Right away, Shanann tried to get pregnant. She was taking fertility drugs. For Chris's birthday, she gave him a $7,500 supercharger for his Mustang. And I did, had no idea what a supercharger was. Apparently, it's a basically a toy for a car, like an air compressor that causes the car to have a higher power output, more horsepower. And then right after that, she found out that she was pregnant with Bella. So they move into the new house. And the reason I'm telling you all their finances is going to be important. Their mortgage was $2,800 a month. Shanann started working at the pediatric call center at Children's Hospital in Aurora. Chris is still at the Ford dealership. When he found out that they were going to have a baby, 
Chris made peace with his parents. It had been two years since they had talked. And on Instagram, we already know Shanann was very active on social media. She put pictures and, I guess, announcements and stuff all about her pregnancy. All kinds of pictures of her, what they call baby bump, baby clothes, stuff that she bought for the baby, etc. And somewhere... I came across a picture of Bella's closet. This kid was not even born yet, and she had probably more clothes than I've ever had in my life. It was just unbelievable. They had a fancy designer crib with Bella's name inscribed on it. And Chris's dad is quoted as saying, Shanann was living way above her means. She wanted the best of everything, end quote. Bella was born on December 7th of 2013, and on her social media New Year's message, Shanann announced that they were already planning another baby. Chris seemed to love being a dad. He just naturally seemed to take to this role. In the following May, he left Ford to work as an oil field contractor for Covenant Testing Technologies, this was a better-paying job. Shanann was still at Children's Hospital, but she was also on the side doing direct sales for jewelry and coffee companies. Her brother Frankie came to visit, and he commented on how, quote, subservient Chris was, and he called him a yes-man. Before Christmas, they got a new Ford Explorer, which they paid $588 a month for. So if you're following along, I'm really bad at math, but even I know that these people are like hemorrhaging financially. Sure enough, Shanann became pregnant in January, and she immediately announced this on Instagram. Chris was now working as an operator at something called Anadarko Petroleum Company, he mainly worked in the field maintaining oil sites. So, to add some drama here, Frank and Sandy, Shanann's parents, moved into the basement of Chris and Shanann's house for 15 months to help Shanann. She was pregnant and they have a little kid, so I'm sure she could use some more hands. Shanann and her mom argued a lot, and Chris said that it was like, quote, walking on eggshells around the house. In June of 2015, they filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. You could probably see that one coming. They owed $450,000, 70000 of which was from credit cards. There were medical bills, student loans, and a lot of this was from their wedding which they had used credit cards to pay for. Their combined income in 2014 was $90,000, and apparently it mainly went to the mortgage and car. So on July 17th, Celeste Catherine, or Cece for short, which Cece's such a cute name, was born. She was sickly, like Shanann had been, and she had some kind of trouble breathing or some kind of lung issue. And she also had bad allergies. Both of the kids, but especially Cece, 
it seemed, had frequent doctor and hospital visits throughout their lives. Supposedly, according to Chris, Shanann was the one who handled all the finances in the family. Like, he would literally hand over his paycheck to her and didn't even question, just assumed that she paid bills. And I'm going to put on my couples therapy hat for a second. I know somebody who this happened to. The person that I know was married, and they let their partner handle all the finances, assuming that this person was paying for everything. Well, it turned out the person wasn't, and they lost their house. So um, uh, that would really suck, something like that to happen to you. I don't know. I'm not saying Shanann was, like, stealing money or was dishonest. All I'm saying is that Chris claimed that he let her handle the finances, and then it turned out that their finances were kind of a mess. And what it was, if you've been even half awake or paying attention during this it's very obvious that these people just simply live beyond their means. Fancy-ass houses and cars, designer cribs, it's just kind of obvious, or it should be anyway. They never mentioned this to their parents, this bankruptcy thing, which I can understand that, that, you know, it'd be kind of embarrassing. Supposedly, according to other people, Chris was really bothered by this, which I guess is natural, of course. But he kept everything bottled up. So this next part is going to be very important. And it's going to be actually kind of life-changing for Shanann. In January of 2016, she became a promoter for a company called Thrive. And I, I did some research just because I was curious about this Thrive shit. And I wanted to be able to tell you some facts about what it is. They claim to be a lifestyle supplement. Its parent company is called Lavelle, and they make $1 billion worth of sales a year. They go by the name Premium Lifestyle Regimen. There's capsules, a drink mix, and what they call a dermafusion patch, which is just like a patch. It looks like a Band-Aid that you wear on your skin. This would literally change Shanann's life in a number of ways. She got all new friends, people in this, uh, I'm tempted to call it a cult, but I know that's not nice, group, like people that also sold this stuff. And because she was now selling this stuff, think of, think of uh, you're selling something like, I know I'm going back in the old days a little bit, but Avon, Tupperware, she wanted to get the word out to people about this product. Look how good this product is. Look what it does for me. So nowadays, what's the best way to do that? And that is, of course, social media. So if you can believe her social media use became like 10 times what it was before. She supposedly tried this stuff and urge Chris, who at the, this time was overweight, to try it. Not, this is where I get a little bit, like, uh, really, a little bit skeptical. Chris said that he noticed a change right away. 
Like he felt he it was like a magic potion. He took this shit and he literally said, quote, Shanann, I feel like I can run a marathon, end quote. They got their friends and family to buy this stuff and take it. But the main thing is, remember, Shanann has lupus and fibromyalgia and she's kind of sickly. She said that it made all of that stuff go away and she stopped taking all her medicine. Now, please, I, I feel like I have to say this just to as a, like a disclaimer. I'm not really sure what this stuff is, whether it works or not. I did some research on it, and I'll tell you what I found. But if you have an actual disease, like lupus is, and you're on medication for it, no matter what you find or try, or no matter how great it may seem, or it makes you feel, please do not just stop taking your medicine without asking a doctor. I just want to make sure that everybody's on the same page. I don't want anybody to do that. So anecdotal reports, and that means not actual studies, just things that people say. People have reported side effects from the patches. Headaches, nausea, anxiety, rashes, stomach cramps, but very few out of all the people who use it. It says it's used to treat metabolic disorders, sleeplessness, anxiety, and headaches. So Shanann starts posting on Facebook even more pictures of her with the shakes and the pills and, and so forth and information about her experiences with this stuff. She also, I think, somewhat reluctantly on his part, enlisted Chris. He wasn't really into this, but he went along with everything she said. So he started using the stuff too. She wrote his Facebook posts for him, like about how great this Thrive stuff is. By her fourth week, she was what's called a 4K VIP with over $1,000 in commission. And she supposedly called all her high school friends trying to get them to buy this stuff. And I kind of got the feeling from what I found, and I trying to be as polite as possible, that she may have been a little bit pushy trying to get people to buy this shit, and people were like turned off by it. I, th I think you can figure out what I'm trying to say. So this stuff was supposedly great for Chris. He was eating healthy. He joined a gym. He ran every day. And you can tell if you look at pictures of him when he first met her, he was, I don't know if chunky is the word, but by the time he got arrested, spoiler alert, he gets arrested, he's very fit, muscular in tone. So because she had done so good with this, selling this shit, she got credit towards a car. She wanted a Lexus, but in order for them to afford the Lexus, Chris would have had to trade in his beloved Mustang, which he did. And his dad said, quote, he loved that Mustang, end quote. Chris was doing a good job at his work, and this is important. He got the nickname Rain Man for his photographic memory and knowledge of, I guess, how the place worked and how things worked. He supposedly didn't talk a whole lot, but he was very good at 
problem solving, almost like a computer. And I stress this because I'm trying to make the case that he's autistic. And I've never seen Rain Man, believe it or not. But I think that guy was autistic. And a lot of times when people hear that somebody's autistic, they're like, oh, you mean like Rain Man. But the photographic memory is like a neurodiverse thing. But he did love talking about his kids to everybody. During the summer, Shanann was always putting on Facebook pictures of her and Chris drinking their shakes and wearing their patches. And Chris later admitted that he hated being in social media, but he never complained. He's a very private person. He wasn't like Shanann to be putting pictures of himself all the time and saying, look at me, look what I'm doing. It made him uncomfortable in this. I'm saying this for a reason, obviously. So on July 17th, which was Cece's first birthday, Shanann's mom invited somebody that she worked with in a hair salon named Nicole Atkinson. She would end up being like Shanann's BFF and also playing a very important role in this case. And of course, Shanann got her to participate in Selling Thrive. Then she started doing live Facebook videos. I've never done that, but I guess it's what it sounds like. You hit live, and it's it's live streamed for everybody to see as it's going on, as opposed to things that maybe you would like to edit out, or somebody says or does something dumb that you don't want everybody to see in the moment. She secretly recorded Chris in the kitchen singing a Mickey Mouse song to the girls and dancing. And she put it on Facebook with, this is very eerie, with the hashtag, he's going to kill me. She earned a trip to New Orleans through Selling Thrive. So they go to New Orleans. And supposedly by that Christmas, almost every part of their lives was on Facebook. And she was also getting more personal with her details. She's doing more and longer live shows. Besides talking about Thrive and how it makes her feel and stuff, she spent more time talking about personal things like the kids and her husband. One time she said, quote, I couldn't have asked God for a better man in my life because he's so supportive. He takes care of me. He's probably the best father I could have asked for for my children. I couldn't have asked for a better man, but he completes me, end quote. For Christmas, Chris gave her a, one of those like homemade t-shirts that said, wife, mom, boss. And although on Facebook and Instagram, it seemed like they had the picture perfect life and they were the perfect family, perfect couple realistically, we all know better. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I'm sure most of you are. Would you put a picture up or a video up of you saying, maybe crying and saying, I'm miserable, I hate my life, or look at my husband, girlfriend, whatever, he's such an asshole. I mean, you just, you don't do that. You only put up the happy things. So they have a neighbor named Nathaniel, and he's going to, again, play an important role in this story later. Well, Nathaniel and his wife heard Chris and Shanann yelling at each other often. And they're not like me, who my neighbors, who, by the way, also yell at each other all the time, 
are like two feet between me and their house. These are big houses, and they have a pretty healthy space between them. So if the neighbors heard them yelling at each other, they had to be yelling pretty loud. They also got another trip for Shanann's Thrive. This one was for two weeks at Punta Cana, which is in the Dominican Republic. And Chris's mom, Cindy, said, quote, she tried to pump everybody full of Thrive. She got my husband on it, and I took it, and it made me so jittery. We did it for Chris, end quote. While Chris and Shanann are off on holiday back in Colorado, all four of the in-laws are in the house watching the girls. Chris's parents were upstairs with the girls, and Shanann's parents were in the basement. And these people together, all of them are like electricity and water. They just cannot get along for whatever reason. They end up having a huge fight, and Shanann's mom kept texting her, bitching about the other people and what they were doing. And Shanann's like, I'll take care of it when I come home. And the poor girl's trying to enjoy her vacation, and her mother's, it keeps texting her that I'm sure was annoying. Shanann's now selling Thrive full-time, and they start their kids at a private school, which costs $25,000 a year for both of them. I don't even know if my college costs that much. But Chris is, like, real into healthy and Thrive and everything now. He got home gym equipment, and... He's now wearing two patches at a time. You're not supposed to do that. You're only supposed to wear one. And I'm mentioning this for a reason. In June, they took another trip to Toronto. So one day in June, after his five-mile run, which makes me tired just thinking about, Chris drove his company truck to the Platteville office. Apparently, that's not where he usually worked, but the team was gathered there waiting for assignments to find out what they had to do that day. And he saw somebody new there who worked in health and safety. Her name was Nicole Kessinger. Nicole was said to have a very uh, um, nicely built, I guess I'll say, and supposedly turned heads when she walked through the break room. One of his co-workers said that whenever she walked by, Chris would look up from his laptop and stare at her. And according to police records, you know, they can find out everything that you do on your phone, even if you wipe it, so they know everything you Google and everything you do. On August 3rd, 2017, and this is before the two of them met, Nicole Googled Chris, and a month later, she Googled Shanann. People like to make a big deal of this. I'm not going to speculate on what it means. I've probably Googled, like, everything under the sun, she could have just heard her name somewhere and was curious. I don't think there's a big mystery behind it, and it's not really that important. And you're you're going to hear, not from me, but from other places, all kinds of things that Nicole Googled. She wondered this, and she wanted to know that. And some of it is um, graphic, if you know what I mean. And... I'm not going to talk about it because I don't, it's not, none of our business really. It's not relevant. And I just rather take up time talking about stuff that is important. So apparently, several people that Chris worked with at Anadarko 
actually blocked Shanann on Facebook because they were tired of seeing all her Thrive posts. One of them is quoted as saying, she posted every three minutes. It was just kind of crazy, end quote. And Cindy Chris's mom said, quote, there were so many videos out there. I couldn't watch poor Christopher going through the motions and looking so uncomfortable, end quote. Then they go to Puerto Vallarta in Mexico. And in 2017, Shanann had sold over $720,000 worth of Thrive. Then they go to Las Vegas for what they called a lifestyle trip, and she traded in her Lexus for an Audi. They were still living beyond their means. They have the kids in a private school, medical bills. Shanann had to have neck surgery at one point. The girls were often sick and had to be in the hospital or doctors, and they owed thousands of dollars in credit card debt. In March of 2018, in March of 2018, they got a warning letter about being behind on the mortgage payment, and Shanann told people she was trying to get pregnant again, because what do you do when you can't afford the kids that you already have? Uh, apparently, you have another one. By this time, and this is going to be important in the timeline, Chris had fallen out of love with Shanann. He said later that he felt trapped. He hated being criticized in front of the kids who were now old enough that they're starting to absorb and pay attention to the things Shanann's saying, like, I don't know, I'm just going to make this up. You're a stupid dickhead or something. And then they would go like, oh, ha ha, daddy's a stupid dickhead. I don't know. That was just an example. Just to give you a picture of what it is that was going on. So what does he do when he's mad that we've learned? Hopefully we've learned. He just keeps it bottled up, bottling up and bottling up. Then they had another fight. They were yelling at each other outside and the neighbors noticed. On May 29th, and this is also made a big deal out of, and I'll give you my thoughts on it, Shanann finds out she's pregnant again for the third time. So she has a shirt made up that says, oops, we did it again, meaning, oh, you know, I got pregnant again. She sets up her phone and starts videoing Chris as he comes in the door from work, and then you get to see his reaction to the, uh, the shirt. First, he's, like, confused, like, huh? And then he's like, oh. Then he, he, like, grins and hugs her. And a lot of people say that he didn't seem too happy or he didn't show a lot of emotion. And that's just the way he is. He's not an emotional person. He later would say that he was scared. And I don't really know of what because he's already had two kids. And it's besides he's not like he, he's carrying it. So on June 1st, he has problems with a computer app when he's out in the field, meaning out at an oil tank. And the person he had to go to for help was Nicole Kessinger. A few days later, she emailed him through the company email and several other people. It was like a group email with a progress report on this issue. And Chris replied, quote, thanks, Nikki. Have a great rest of your day. On June 11th, Shanann put the video on Facebook of the oops, we did it again thing. And then she went live and it showed her telling the girls that 
means you're going to have a another little brother, little sister, whatever. So the next day, which I guess would be June 12th, Chris and Nicole Kessinger have their first conversation. He told her he came from North Carolina and has two daughters. He picked up his phone and he showed her the picture of Shanann and the girls. Nicole would later say that he said, quote, yes, I have a wife, but we're separated, end quote. So she emailed him and said, thank you for being honest with me this morning. An hour later, he answered, quote, Nikki, I'm a straightforward guy. Lying just complicates things. I think you're absolutely stunning. And from what I've learned about you so far, you seem like an amazing person. I hope to continue to get to know you better since we have a lot in common, end quote. And it doesn't take a genius to know that he wants to get in her pants. Nicole writes back and says, I do believe in karma, so out of respect for myself, you, and your family, I think it is best if we keep that friendship at work, end quote. So he's coming on to her. He's supposedly separated or so he says, but she's like, mm, I wonder if I'm getting played here. I better be careful. And she does. She sets some ground rules. He writes back, agreeing. He gave her his work number just in case she ever had to get in touch with him, you know, for work. He added her number to his phone under work contacts because supposedly Shanann constantly checked his phone. I'll just pause there for a second. If you're in a relationship and you constantly check your partner's phone, you got a problem. It makes me wonder what was she looking for? Did she and they haven't even started to have an affair yet. Is is that what she's looking for? Signs of an affair? So Shanann and the two kids are going to go to North Carolina for six weeks that summer. Because remember, their family is still back there. Both sets of grandparents. They're going to visit them for six weeks. And then for the last week, which will be in August, Chris is going to join them because he couldn't get the time off from work. He later said, quote, I thought it was just flirting. I didn't think that something would actually happen, end quote. And, of course, I'm talking about Nicole. They would have flirtatious conversations, and he said he felt comfortable with her. It seemed like she was interested in what he had to say, unlike Shanann. So they have one more Thrive trip, which is to San Diego. On June 19th, Shanann has a sonogram. And you can't tell the sex yet. It's just, you know, a little shape. And, of course, she puts this on Facebook. She says that the baby's due January 31st of 2019. Shanann's dad, Frank, comes to take care of the kids while they're in San Diego. And he noticed something's off with Chris. He's lost weight. He's all buff. And he said that he was stern with the kids and yelled at them, which is something he never did before. Nicole Atkinson, remember her from, she's a Thrive friend of Shanann's. She was on the trip to San Diego, too, and she later said that Chris and Shanann were, quote, lovey-dovey on the trip. Everything seemed okay. On June 26th, Chris takes Shanann, his dad, and the girls to the airport for their flight to North Carolina. He's like, I'll see you in August. So he comes home. The minute he's in the door, he calls Nicole and arranges to meet the next day after work. So the next day they meet at a nature preserve, and Nicole asked him 
when he decided to separate from his wife? Very valid question. And he said, well, it was March. It was be like three months ago. And he said, we're putting our house up for sale. And then she wants to know, of course, well, why isn't it working out? Or why do you want to get divorced? Whatever. And he said, quote, she's bossy. He said she controlled him and belittled him in front of the kids. And then he said that she was, quote, all about appearances. He claimed that the only time he ever tried to stand up for himself, she, quote, threw him out for the night. Then Nikki asks, when did they start or their relationship start going bad? And he said six years ago, which I'm thinking, mm, that doesn't sound right. Six, six years, really? He claimed that she ignored him, and she was always either on her phone or on Facebook. So after this walk in the nature preserve, they go back to Nikki's house, and Chris just happens to have several packs of condoms on him. Really, dude? Several packs? Did he think he was going to an orgy, or who knows? But he was very quickly becoming infatuated with Nicole, and he supposedly slept with her at her house just about every day that Shanann and the kids were away. On July 3rd, which was her 30th birthday, he came and brought her flowers and a poem that he wrote, and she later said that she told him she wanted to take things slow till his divorce came through. She goes, quote, he was like in fifth gear the entire time, end quote. Chris said, quote, I was just always so nervous with Shanann. With Nicole, it was just different. I was more in control, end quote. Very important statement right there. So one morning he wakes up in Nicole's bed to find that he'd met, he'd missed 12 calls from Shanann. He's probably like, oh shit. So he called her and he's like, I'm sorry, I was sleeping. And he said that, she said, screw you and hung up on him. Nicole came to Chris's house to help him set up a new fitness app. And she saw the pictures on the walls of the family, you know, him and Shanann and the girls and she said, they're a beautiful family. Why wouldn't you want to try to fix your marriage? And he said, quote, I don't really want to. It's just not working out, end quote. Then he tries to get her to try Thrive because, of course, he does. And she looked on their website like I did. She did some research. And she's like, I just am not comfortable with the idea of this. I don't really understand what's in it. And like I said, during the next several weeks, he was with her every night. He ignored Shanann's calls. And when she had FaceTime with him, he was kind of distracted. And by this time, Shanann has caught on that something's wrong. Then they had an incident. I'm not going to go into too many details over this. But they called it Nutgate. And remember, they're in North Carolina. Shanann's mother-in-law had ice cream with nuts in it gross. Cece was severely allergic to nuts, so they have a huge fight. She calls Chris, gets him involved. She also puts all this business on Facebook, so her in-laws saw it and blocked her. Shanann was mad at Chris for not standing up to his parents, and this is putting even more strain on a relationship that's in pretty dire straits 
to begin with. Then he starts exchanging nude pics with Nikki. And he had a nifty little thing on his computer where it looked like the calculator app, but if you put in a certain code, you would see these hidden pictures. And meanwhile, in North Carolina, Shanann had a birthday party for Cece, but Chris's family boycotted it due to Shanann putting all their business on Facebook. These people are worse than a bunch of little kids. It makes me really glad I don't have any in-laws. Later, Shanann told a friend, quote, I don't ever want to see them again, end quote, meaning her in-laws. One time, Shanann texts Chris and says, quote, I realize during this trip what's been missing in our relationship. It's only one way, emotions and feelings. You don't consider others at all, nor think about others' feelings, end quote. So Chris and Nicole go to the Great Sand Dunes National Park, like camping there for a weekend, and this will be the first time that they told each other that they loved each other. On July 30th, Chris writes a letter to Nicole that says he's addicted to her. And just keep that word in mind, addicted. And this would be, in case you can't figure out, he's with somebody new and exciting, and he's in love, and he's feeling the happy chemicals that you get from being in love. What is it? Oxytocin, endorphins, you know, all that good shit. So he flies to North Carolina on July 31st. And Shanann's brother said that he was, quote, really standoffish. They go out to dinner. And this is important. That night, Shanann was puking all night. And it was was noticed that Chris didn't check on her or comfort her or anything. Usually when somebody's sick like that, you, you're like, um, well, with girls anyway, you say, did you want me to hold your hair? I know it's gross, but it's just something that you do. Um, can I help you with anything? Do you want, you know, some medicine? Are you, do you feel better? I'm, something. And he was like, couldn't care less. Later on, much later on, he would admit that he had ground oxycodone tablets into her Thrive Shakes in an attempt to make her miscarry. And oxycodone, in case you don't know, is a narcotic pain reliever. I'm not sure if it would cause a miscarriage or not, but it certainly is a shitty thing to do to somebody. And she started complaining to her friends that he doesn't want her. He's like a different person. They were sleeping in separate beds. And she, by now, thought that he was having an affair. And then he confronted her, saying that he's had it with her alienating him from his parents. Then she texted a friend and said that she plans on selling the house and moving out of Colorado. So it looks like at this point, she's made up her mind that, fuck this dude, I want out of this marriage. And Chris told his family that he wanted a separation. After this, when he said, I want a separation, his sister said that he was the happiest she'd seen him in years. And he told Shanann that he didn't want this new baby. She cried, of course, and he said he was scared. She would keep trying to initiate sex, and he was just totally uninterested. So they go back home, 
And on August 9th, something really weird happens. He texts her a picture of one of the girl's dolls on the couch with a sheet covering it. I have it in my Instagram. You can look at it. The feet of it are hanging out. Like it looked like a body laying on the table at a morgue. So what does she do with it? Well, of course, she puts it on Facebook. And the caption of it was, I don't know what to think about this. Chris later told investigators that he doesn't know why he did it or maybe Bella did it. He just doesn't remember. Shanann arranged for Bella to return to school, you know, that expensive private school on Monday. Then they have a little gender reveal party. Shanann had got, when she went to get her ultrasound, the doctor put the sex of the baby in an envelope. So they're going to put this envelope opening on Facebook. And, of course, as we know, it was a boy, and he was to be named Nico Lee. As soon as they got home, Shanann has to go off again. This time she goes to Scottsdale, Arizona, for a Thrive convention for the weekend. Nicole Atkinson picks her up and takes her to the airport, leaving Chris alone for the weekend. She got a book on how to fix a relationship from Amazon. She had a copy of it sent to Chris at home, and she got a copy of it for herself on her Kindle. And while she was on this Scottsdale trip, she read the book on her Kindle. Her Thrive friends said that she looked a wreck. She wasn't eating and drinking properly. She said that she had a migraine and was dehydrated. And remember, she's 15 weeks pregnant. So, of course, her friends are concerned about her. Supposedly, these can also be side effects from the oxycodone that Chris gave her. But it seems like that was quite a way in the past. I don't know if that would still be in her system. It kind of doesn't make sense. But she's upset. And when you're in a bad emotional state, you're susceptible to migraines and stuff like lupus and fibro flares. So her friends, Nicole and Cassie, who's a nurse, are like fussing over her, making sure that she eats and drinks and takes care of herself. She also texted their realtor saying that she was thinking of selling the house. And one day, this is kind of, this is weird but it's it's important. Chris meets a dude that he works with named Troy at a parking lot because Chris can't figure out how to use his new Amazon Fire Stick. And I'm like, dude, you're an engineer, for fuck's sake. He's worked on cars. He knows all kinds of mechanical shit. He can't figure out an Amazon Fire Stick, really. So anyway, while they're doing that, Troy gets a call from another operator on their team at work. And this person says there's a leak on the bypass line on Survey 319 oil well. Survey 319 is just the name of that particular oil field. So Chris goes like real enthusiastically. He's like, oh, I'll go there first thing Monday morning and fix it. Although he'd promised to take Bella to school. And if you're wondering why 
that's important. You'll see. While Shanann's busy at dinner and training, he calls Nikki and tells her the divorce is proceeding well, and they've agreed to split everything 50-50. And Nicole would later say that to her, he made it sound like that he had, quote, sealed the deal. Then that Saturday night, Chris and Nikki go out on date. They get a dinner, and he uses his credit card. Shanann in Arizona gets a notice that their credit card has been used. She's like, hmm, what's up with this? Because it says the name of this bar and restaurant. So she texts them, and she's like, uh, you know, what's up with this? And he said, I went to a baseball game, and we went out to eat afterwards. So Shanann texts one of her friends, and she says, quote, I sometimes can be bitchy. I have control issues. He never fights me, just goes with the flow. We know I like things done in a certain way, but I never thought about how that may make him feel as a man. I'm the pusher, and he's the withdrawer. That last sentence there is very key, I think, when we talk about psychology. I do have a theory about what kind of personality disorder he may have. This quote here is key. I'm the pusher, and he's the withdrawer. In the meantime, Nikki is texting her friends, gushing about Chris, about how great he is. She says, quote, he's all about his kids. The fact that he takes care of his kids is a good thing, I think, end quote. On Sunday, he texted a guy from work to tell him that Monday morning he's going to be at this Servi 319 place first thing in the morning. So in Scottsdale, Shanann's finishing dinner. It's almost time to get her flight home, but the flight's delayed. She puts on Facebook, ready to be home with Chris and the girls. This will be the last Facebook post she ever makes. Chris and Shanann have a surveillance camera or one of those cameras that you have around your house. And the camera catches her coming in the door from the airport at 1.48 a.m. on Monday. And this will be the last time Shanann is ever seen alive. And with that, I'm going to leave Ian's hanging. I don't know when the next half of this will be up. I think I mentioned that I was going to physical therapy and I've been in a lot of pain. It's it's slowing me down. So hopefully it will be up within a week. If not, just hang in there. I will see you next week. Class dismissed.